pouring into me as well in ways that you've been an encouragement in uh, this uh, this journey. So thanks for coming and sharing with us, brother. God bless you, Drew. Okay. I'm yeah, so glad to be here. Yeah. So glad to be here. Yeah. I love your pastor. You can give your pastor a hand. I love Drew. Love his heart for God. And I am just so honored to be with all of you today at College Hill Presbyterian. I can't believe this is the first time I've ever been in this building. It's kind of strange to think about that for reasons that may become clearer later. But I think of so many people, including your pastor, Pastor Drew, who have built into me spiritually, who have had a spiritual home here at College Hill. So it is a great honor to be with you. So I want to pray as we begin our time looking at God's word. God, I do thank you. I thank you for the blessing of today. And God, I thank you for the promise that we just sung about, the hymn of heaven. I thank you, God, that what we see before us in this moment where there is war and there is suffering and there is all kinds of pain in this world um, is not the end of the story. God, there is yet a chapter to be written, the chapter of the complete and total authority, the fullness of your kingdom coming. And God, between that time... And where we are now, you ask us to be good stewards. And so as we lean into this truth today and lean into this theme of stewardship, God, I pray that for us it would be connected to the final end and the wonderful chapter of the story yet to come. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I thought it'd be helpful for you since I'm, you know, first time here, just tell you a little bit about myself. And so I am married to my wife, Maria. We've been married for 21 years and we've got three children. I've got two sons. Nathan is 15. Samuel is 12. And then I've got a princess. I mean, a daughter. I have a daughter named Isabel who is uh, nine years old. But I was thinking about today's topic and it made me think about something that happened with Isabel probably at this point five years ago because it happened on Halloween. Halloween is a big deal in my family. And so, you know, we do the decoration thing and our kids do the, you know, dress up thing. And so when Isabel was about five years old, she told her mom and me that she wanted to be Batman for Halloween. Which was like, great, you want to be Batman, awesome. So, you know, but remember, we had two boys and now we're raising a girl. So we were like, well, if she wants to be Batman, she probably wants to be like, you know, like pink Batman because she loves like pink and purple. My wife says, if you walk into Isabel's room, it looks like a unicorn threw up in her room. Like that's, that's kind of how she is as a daughter. So we were like, hey, all right, cool. So we'll get her this pink costume. So uh, I think it was my wife was at the store with her and picked out this pink costume. And Isabel looked at the costume and she frowned her face and she said to my wife, that's not Batman. That's not Batman, mommy. That's not Batman. And so I want to show you a picture of what um, happened because of her boldness and standing in her power. Isabel got the actual Batman concert. I, th- I think we have a picture of that. Yes, she got the actual Batman costume. You can just see her in her joy and in her confidence standing in her power, right? Knowing what it meant to be Batman. And when I think about stewardship, I think stewardship is us as followers of Jesus standing in our power understanding what it is that Jesus has entrusted to us and then how we live that out in the world. And so in this series, you've been looking at that. You've looked at money and how to steward your time. You've looked at how to steward your bodies. And today I want to talk about how do we steward power? How do we steward power? Now I have to tell you, Christians have a really uncomfortable relationship with the word power, don't we? 
Like, like I, I didn't even have the courage to put it in the title of my talk. It says stewarding your influence on your program because I was like, oh, power. Like, we can both really askew power as Christians, but also really want it at the same time, can't we? Like power is just this interesting thing. And of course, church history and history is filled with example, sadly, after example of people who have abused power. And so when it comes to power, we can have a bit of discomfort with that word. I mean, it can just sound dirty. It can sound self-serving. It can just sound so unchristian. And yet, I think some of the challenges we have in Christian circles with the abuse of power is connected to the way that we refuse to relate to the call to embrace our power. And I want to talk about that today. You know, when I think about that, I think about a quote that is, um, I guess, erroneously now entitled to Sir Edmund Burke. I always learned that he was the one who said this. Apparently he wasn't, so now we don't know who said it. But I think the truth is still there. You've probably heard it. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So as followers of Jesus who have received the good news of Jesus, who operate from an ethic of love, I believe that it is on us to really reckon with this thing called power. Now, I have to say this too. Our families of origin also come into play with our comfort or perhaps our discomfort with this thing called power. I don't know. I'm sure the only person who grew up like this. I grew up in a family where probably the predominant display of power in my family system was passive aggressiveness. I know nobody else grew up in a family like that. I know, I know. Just give me grace as a person who grew up in a... Anybody have passive aggressive tendencies show up in their family? So maybe the way that you think about power is skewed because you saw passive aggressiveness as the primary expression of power. I also saw some abuses of power. And honestly, I saw some of those abuses in Christian settings. Went to a church, grew up in a Christian school. And so I saw, and, and let me be clear, I saw good stewardship of power. And I also saw these uncomfortable things that made me personally averse to power. And so I have been a person who has probably trended more on being passive than I should be because of my uncomfort or discomfort With this thing called power. And yet it is very clear as you read through the scriptures that God has given us power and given us a mandate to use it. We're going to look at a couple scriptures today. We're going to look at a main scripture later, but I just want to illustrate this idea that you've been given power. And it shows up in the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse 28 says this, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue. That's a, that's a power word. And if that doesn't resonate, then he says, and have dominion. That's a power word. Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So mankind has been created to steward power. But then it also goes on as Jesus comes on the planet and he's talking to his disciples about what's to come next. If that Genesis verse is the first mandate to leverage power, I would call this next passage the greater things mandate that Jesus gives to his followers when he says this in John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. That's a power statement. Greater things than Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did? <laughs> This is a man who rose the dead. This is a man who healed broken bodies. This is a man who preached with authority. And here Jesus is saying to you and I, as his followers, greater things than these will you do. 
Unbelievable. But also true. And so we have to reckon with this thing called power. But in order to do that, we've got to embrace two strange bedfellows. There are two strange bedfellows that in the kingdom image of power, the way that we steward power like Jesus, come together. I was thinking about this term, strange bedfellows, interesting term. And I was thinking about the fact that, you know, basically it means two things that don't seem like they would work well together, but they kind of do. And I realized, you know what, in Cincinnati, we know a little thing about strange bedfellows. Now, I have to be honest and tell you, I didn't grow up in Cincinnati. I grew up in Philadelphia. That's my home. Um, but Cincinnati is now my home. I live here and I love it. I've been in Cincinnati for over 22 years. And so coming into Cincinnati as a person not from here, you might be kind of numb to the strange bedfellows that are just a part of Cincinnati culture. But let me give you, I'll give you two. Here's one. Um, who would have known that black raspberry and chocolate chip would come together to make an amazing ice cream, right? That's strange, strange bedfellows. But I mean, my goodness, I mean, if you ever had that at Grader's, it works. It works. Now, now let me get a little bit more personal here, right? Who would have known that chili on your spaghetti could work, right? Somebody said, preach. I got a call and response on that one. I'll take that too. I'll take some call and response. So we know a little thing about strange bedfellows in Cincinnati, but I have to say, because if you're like me and you've been watching this NFL season unfold, um, you have to realize that there is a story that's trumping the Bengals story right now. There's a story that's trumping all of the NFL stories right now. It's the strange bedfellows of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Anybody with me on that? Unless you've been living under a rock, you cannot avoid these two strange bedfellows, right? And you have to ask yourself the question, how is it, how is it that like Swifty and all the things that go with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, like why is it that those things come together? I love this cartoon because I think it illustrates it, right? You've got the Swifties who are the young girls who love Taylor Swift. And then if you can't read it, that guy who's kind of holding his face is an NFL exec and he just sees dollar signs. So... We're seeing the strange bedfellows of Travis, Kelsey, and Taylor Swift everywhere because there's an economic reason for it, right? But strange bedfellows are an interesting thing. And when you think about the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is full of strange bedfellows. The way of Jesus says that the way forward is grace and truth. Those are strange bedfellows. We often see people in our culture who are good at grace but not at truth. We see other people who are really good at truth, but not at grace. But in Jesus, we see these strained bedfellows coming together. Here's another one that plays out in the scriptures, mercy and justice. That God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. Thank God he is both. Thank God those strange bedfellows come together in Jesus Christ. And so when we think about this idea of stewarding power, I want to suggest And if you don't hear anything else I say today, this is the big idea, this is the big takeaway, that if you're going to steward power for good, it requires the unlikely blend of authority and responsibility. I'm sorry, authority and vulnerability. Authority and vulnerability are the strange bedfellows that make up the way that followers of Jesus steward power. Now, I'm greatly indebted to the work of Andy Crouch, if anybody's familiar with him, great writer, great thinker. And he wrote a book called Strong and Weak. And it's all about how to steward power as a follower of Jesus. And he has a two-by-two kind of illustration that I want to show as just a depiction of how these two things, authority and vulnerability, come together in a kingdom dynamic 
to show us how to steward power well. And, and the way that I would say is you think about like this. If you have power and it's all about authority without vulnerability, what, you li- what you're left with is exploitation. And again, history is full of examples of people who demonstrated 100% authority, but no vulnerability, and what we were left with was exploitation. Some of the greatest tragedies that have happened in human history are rooted in this dynamic of power. But by the same token, we can think of examples in history where the person has been 100% vulnerable, but didn't have authority. And honestly, power doesn't work that way. And if that's the dynamic of power, you end up with undue suffering. I even think about the civil rights movement when I think about this. Because you might say, well, what about that? What about the civil rights movement? That was an example. But I would argue they operated in moral authority. They didn't have the authority of weapons. They didn't have the authority of violence. They weren't using that. But their moral authority stood as a mirror to those who would oppress them to say, you will not be able to do this because the moral authority will not allow it. And that was the basis of their nonviolent resistance. So I think that wherever you have authority, but wherever you have just all vulnerability and not authority, you do get undue suffering. And we can obviously think of places where both are absent. And I would say those are the places where people have withdrawn. That makes me think about that Sir Edmund Burke quote, that the only thing that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. But something beautiful happens when our framework for embracing power is embracing both authority and vulnerability. Interestingly, the world flourishes when leaders and those who are stewarding power are both strong and weak at the same time. And we see this perfectly modeled in Jesus Christ. We see in Jesus the beautiful blend of authority and vulnerability. But what it requires of us is to take two journeys, the journey of the cross and the journey of the crown. So let's look at a place in scripture where we see this beautifully modeled in the life of Jesus. I'm going to Philippians chapter 2, and this will be our core text for the rest of our time, starting at verse 5, where Paul writes these words. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to look at how Jesus perfectly models stewarding power well. First, by looking at his journey to the cross. Jesus took the journey to the cross. And for us, that journey is about embracing vulnerability. One of the things that I've done, um, I'm 47. And one of the things that I've done actually at Drew's recommendation, you might not remember this, I actually still have a note about this, is I have started to engage in spiritual direction with the spiritual director. And most recently, I've been in a season of my life where life has been really, really challenging for me in a lot of different ways and in some new ways. And one of the things that my spiritual director said to me was that when you hit midlife, something happens. She said that when you hit midlife, a lot of the childhood wounds 
that you've tamped down in your drive for success and you've been able to kind of power through, they kind of resurface asking to be given attention. Can I get an amen somebody on that? And so I'm finding myself in this place where the, the, the child in me, the, the young Chuck in me is really, really begging for some attention and some healing. And I got to tell you, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And there are parts of me that want to ignore that child still. There are parts of me that don't want to go into those places of deep, deep wounding because I've found a way to make life work without dealing with that. I know I'm the only person who's done that, but but I found a way to make life work without dealing with that. And yet there's something to this idea that if I'm going to be the leader that God has called me to be, if I'm going to leverage the power that God has given me, I've got to embrace deeper levels of vulnerability. And so isn't it encouraging to know that this is exactly what Jesus did? Yes, Jesus ultimately humbled himself on the cross. But I want you to notice before it talks about him humbling himself to the point of death, it says Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself. What does that mean? The Greek word there is the word kenosis. And it means to render something void of power. Isn't it interesting that the model Jesus sets is that if you actually want to leverage more power, you have to start by giving up power. And so Jesus did that. And think about what it meant for Jesus to become human, because that's what this is talking about. When it talks about the kenosis of Jesus, it's the fact that this divine ever eternal, all-powerful creator God took on the form of a human. What did it mean for Jesus to empty himself and become human? I'll give you a couple things it meant. It meant that the God of boundless energy subjected himself to becoming tired. It meant that the God who had 100% immunity against not only spiritual but physical conditions allowed himself the vulnerability of becoming sick. I don't know if Jesus was sick. I don't know if Jesus had allergies, but I know he was human. <laughs> and so he had to subject himself to that. <clears throat> we know this. It meant the God who would not feel pain in the way that a human felt pain subjected himself to being able to feel pain. The pain of a crown of thorns on his head, the pain of nails going through his body. And it also meant that this God availed himself to feeling the emotional pain of betrayal and disappointment and sadness, and grief. Jesus emptied himself of his divine protection from these things. And I think for some of us, the way that embracing vulnerability has to look in this season of our life is we have to be willing to empty ourselves of some of the things we use to protect ourselves from pain. You know, some of us protect ourselves from pain through our pride. Some of us protect ourselves from pain through leaning into our accomplishments. Some of us protect ourselves from pain by actually adopting a place of unforgiveness where we won't forgive a person who has hurt us. And we think that that's actually a protection when it really is not. And what this is saying is that for us to embrace power the way that we are as kingdom people to embrace power means we have to become vulnerable to the places we tend to protect. This is what it means to take the journey of the cross. If you think about the word vulnerable, the root of that word is to become woundable, vulnerable, woundable. That's what it means to be vulnerable. So my question is, where in your life are you avoiding the risk of vulnerability? Where in your life might you be avoiding the risk of woundability? Because Jesus allowed himself to become woundable, woundable all the way to the point 
of death on a cross. But isn't that what vulnerability means? Vulnerability is when you take a meaningful risk, where you're risking something of value before a greater story that matters. Who in in here is married? Who in here is married? When you said, I do, you stepped into a vulnerable relationship where you were willing to take a risk of being woundable because you thought there was a greater story to be lived together than apart. Who in here is a parent? The moment you had a child, you became woundable. Did you not? I remember the first time my kids skinned their knee. I mean, you'd have thought my kid like lost their whole limb the way that I reacted. I never knew that the hurt of another could feel so much until I had kids. My kids made me vulnerable. They make me vulnerable and woundable to hurt. It's why Jesus became human because he wanted to make himself vulnerable to you, to me. And if we're going to embrace power, we have to be willing to be woundable. You know, one of the things that I am now leading is called Undivided, and it's a movement for racial healing and justice. And um, in that work, I will tell you, there have been very, very vulnerable moments, and they continue to come for me. I'll give you one that if you're in Cincinnati and were in Cincinnati in 2015, you may remember when just a few miles from where we are, there was an officer-involved shooting, University of Cincinnati police officer shot and killed Samuel DuBose, a motorist who was pulled over for not having a front license plate. And I'm a pastor at Crossroads, and Crossroads is a majority white church. And in that majority white church, I knew that this body cam footage was going to be released. And I knew that as it was going to be released, it was going to have implications for our church community that was growing in diversity at that time. And here's what I also knew. I'll never forget being in a room watching that body footage the first time it was shown. And I was in a room with other pastors at Crossroads. And I was the only black man in the room. And in that moment, I felt vulnerable. I knew that something was going to be required of me. I knew there was going to be a risk required of me, not because no one else in the room cared. We all cared. We were all heartbroken. And not because people in the room were more, weren't more qualified than me to lead in that moment, because many of them were more qualified than me. But I knew in that moment I was being called. I knew that God had put me at crossroads in a position of leadership as a black man, not to shirk from that moment, but to lean into that moment and steward power well. And it was going to require woundability. And can I be honest with you? I got wounded. (laughs) There were some people who heard everything I said through a political lens and put labels on me and said things about me that I don't think were true, but they thought were true. I got wounded. It's impossible to leverage power according to the nature of the kingdom and not get wounded. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Where are we willing to be wounded because it's worth it? Where are we willing to be wounded because it's worth it? You should have a place in your life. There should be a relationship. There should be some place where you're stewarding your power, where you say, I am willing to be wounded in this relationship. I'm willing to be wounded in this context. I'm willing to be wounded in this community because the story that we're running after together is worth it. And this is what it means to follow the journey of the cross as Jesus did. But Jesus also took another journey. You know, when we read this verse in Philippians, we think about him being humble to the point of death to the cross. But do you notice what comes next? Do you notice what comes next? After Jesus' downward mobility to the cross, 
it says, then God exalted him, gave him a name that is above every name. There is an elevation. There is a journey of the crown that comes after the journey of the cross. And we have to ask ourselves, how can we equally be inspired by this? Here's the thing. Jesus was a suffering servant, but today he is a king with a kingdom. And he is a king who is heaven bent on taking more and more ground until all of creation reflects the beauty and glory of the Trinity. Jesus is no shrinking violet when it comes to power. Jesus is on a power play. Don't get it twisted. His power play is rooted in love. His power play is against every dark force that comes against the way that God wants this world to operate. Our Jesus is a powerful God and he's calling you and I. To embrace that crown of power and authority as well. Because what is authority other than delegated power? That's what authority is. Wherever someone is operating in authority, they are operating in power that has been given to them. Notice it says God exalted him. God gave him the name that is above every other name. And let me tell you the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is Genesis 128 is you've been given power and authority. We read it. You've been given the first mandate. Jesus goes a level beyond that and says greater things than these will you do. You've been given authority, but it was stolen by our enemy. But can I just tell you the reason Jesus came? Part of the reason Jesus came was to save you. Yes. And I'm so glad he came to save. He also came to get you your power back. Jesus also came to restore the authority we were rightfully meant to leverage in the world. That's why in the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven has been given to me. And then what does he do? He turns around and delegates that authority to his disciples and says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I taught you. And this is the authority that we still operate in. So I want you to know, yes, there is a place for you to ask the question, where am I vulnerable? How am I embracing the cross? And there is also a place for you to ask, where have I been given authority? And how am I stewarding the crown? Again, though, I know I'm in a room of a bunch of Christians, so this power talk is getting some of you uncomfortable. I get it. I get it. And so I want to help you. I want to give you an illustration that I think will help you to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus in all of our imperfections. I mean, we just made a confession today about the ways that we fall short every time we try to walk this path. But I want you to know you have been given authority. And so I heard a, another preacher share this story, and I was like, man, this is a good story for this weekend. I want to share it with you. So how many people have ever been to New York City? Been to New York City? Um, very, very busy place, lots of traffic in New York City. And a pastor told a story that happened at 42nd and 9th Street in New York City. It actually happens on all kinds of intersections every day in New York City, but this specific intersection is one of the busiest in the city. It's one of the most traffic-driven in the city. You've got all cars coming from all these directions, and what is needed at the corner of 42nd and 9th is someone with delegated authority who will help make sense of the traffic patterns. And I want to give you a picture. I want you to have an image in mind of who that person is. This is who this person is. This woman is an NYPD police officer who could very well be at the corner of 42nd and 9th Street. Now, let me tell you what else is happening at the corner of 42nd and 9th Street. You got a bunch of New York drivers at the corner of 42nd and 9th Street. If you know anything about New York drivers, they are crazy, 
right? Like these are not people who look at the set, the red light and choose to stop. These are people who say the red light is optional. These are people who don't understand or or just don't care to follow any rules of the right of way. So if we all come to the intersection at the same time, it doesn't matter if I'm first or not, I'm first. And if you have an issue and you try to come and encroach on my lane when I'm going through, I'm honking my horn and we're going to have a fight. Like this is not going well. And here's what I want you to know. This is such a beautiful picture. Let's put that picture back up of this cop. I want you to just see this because why is it, why is it that this woman can run game, can be the person who is the final buck at the corner of 42nd and 9th, friends, with nothing but a yellow vest and a whistle? What, what are her, what are her tools? What are the tools in which she has to operate in this authority? She has a yellow vest, she has a police uniform, and she has a whistle, y'all, and some white gloved hands sometimes, right? Why is it though that when she puts her hand out and blows her whistle, a six ton vehicle with a driver who's from New York stops? And when she goes like this, another one with a three-ton vehicle goes at the beckoning of her hand. Why? It's because of the authority behind her. If you pull out a dollar bill right now, the reason that you can go and spin that dollar bill is because that dollar bill is supported by the full faith and backing of the United States government. And I want you to know that cop at the corner of 42nd and 9th is not just there with a whistle. She's not just there with a yellow vest. She's there with the full faith and backing of the New York police department behind her if you choose to disrespect her authority. Not only that, if it went to another level of escalation, she also has the full faith and backing of the governor of New York. And if needed, she actually, if you think about it, has the full faith and backing of the president of the United States should it come to that point. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that even though there are places in our life where we have to stay vulnerable and there are places in our life where we are woundable and we're not perfect people, when you operate in the authority as a kingdom person, you do that with the full faith and backing of the blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed for you. You operate in the full faith and backing of his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who lives inside of you. And so we are called to steward power, not in our own power and not to our own glory, but all in God's power and only for God's glory. But friend, you stand with a uniform, a blood-bought uniform. You have a crown That is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. You've been given wisdom. You've been given gifts of the spirit. And they are not meant for you to be a shrinking violet. And so I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus, we should be the people in this moment in time where these strange bedfellows of authority and vulnerability come together and people are stewarding their power for the good of the kingdom and for the glory of God. That's your calling. That's my calling. I think about what Martin Luther King said about power. He said, power without love is reckless and abusive. This is what happens when Christians vacate the public square. You're left with forms of power that ultimately are reckless and abusive. But listen to what he also says. Love without power is sentimental and anemic. I believe in the power of prayer. A hundred percent. And there are times, Christian, where we're called to pray and do. 
not just thoughts and prayers. Where do we need to show up? Where do we need to give voice? Where do we need to build? Where do we need to prophetically call out things? There is a place for that in our leveraging and stewarding of the power that we have. So what he says is power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, we are the people who have this mandate. We are the people who have been given the gift of the Spirit to be able to do this. These strange bedfellows of authority and vulnerability show up perfectly in Jesus, but are also the inheritance of every follower of Jesus. And it's part of the mandate you have to steward your power. So I want to leave you with a couple thoughts, some calls to action. And the first one is this. I want you to think about this personally. Think of one relationship, one context in your life where you have power to steward. Again, it could be a relationship in your home. It could be a civic institution that you're a part of. It could be a place where you work. And I want you to ask yourself the question as you think about that relationship or that context. Ask yourself, how am I embracing vulnerability in this relationship? How am I embracing the journey of the cross? And then I want you to think about the other side of that, which is in that same context, in that relationship. How am I embracing my authority? How am I embracing my crown and leveraging the authority that God has given me in that relationship, in that context? I want you to do that thought work and that prayer work with God this week and see if he doesn't reveal to you maybe a place where he's calling you to be more vulnerable, even when it's hard. Or maybe a place where he's calling you to step in with more authority, even when that's hard. Individually, God wants each of us to be stewarding power well. But I also think that this is a word for you collectively as a church at College Hill. I mentioned that I've been engaging a spiritual director. Well, that spiritual director is a name that's probably familiar to some people in this room. It's Sybil Towner. And I had a chance, um, Sybil and Dick Towner, long time uh, ago, were part of this community and just amazing people of God, pillars. Their influence has been literally global. And I had a chance to have lunch with Dick and Sybil Towner a couple weeks ago. And during that lunch, I said, hey, I'm going to be speaking at College Hill Presbyterian. And they were so excited. (laughs) And they began to tell me stories, some that I knew and some that I didn't know, about the ways that this church, you as a community, have stewarded power well. And I know some of these names and some of these instances are familiar to some of you. They might be new to some of you. But I just want you to know this church has had a powerful place in the kingdom of God and still does. This is the church that birthed something called Christian Youth Industries. Anybody remember that? (laughs) an opportunity for young people in the College Hill community to earn income. This is the church where Gary Sweeten and Gary Sweeten's ministry came from. And so many people have been blessed through that ministry, empathy, listening, all of the things that have come out of that. I told you I'm a dad of three. I have been a part of a father's group. This whole movement of father's groups meeting at 6.03 in the morning, that God-forsaken hour. But yes, 6.03 in the morning. Um, there are hundreds, if not thousands of dads who've been shaped and formed by the father's ministry that started right here at College Hill. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Club time has changed the way that I think about my relationship with my kids. That came out of this church. Whiz kids. 
WizKids, this opportunity to invest in kids in the community with tutoring and mentoring opportunities. Again, birthed out of this church, the nursery school that was birthed out of this church. I heard stories about in the 60s how this church bought properties around the neighborhood to make sure that College Hill was not ripped apart but could continue to be a diverse community. All of that were ways that this community has stewarded power. And it's amazing and such an honor to be in this space. This space was built by 30 people who had a vision for 300 seats. They saw beyond themselves and they wanted to steward their power so more people, you and I today, could be a part of the ministry of this church. So when I think about all that, College Hill, I want to say first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for those of you who have been a part of that. For those of you who have inherited that legacy, thank you. Our city is different because of College Hill Presbyterian Church. People know Jesus today because of College Hill Presbyterian Church. Marriages are still together today because of College Hill Presbyterian Church. There are fathers and mothers who are deeper in relationship with their kids because of College Hill Presbyterian Church. Thank you. And I also want to challenge you. And here's my challenge. Thinking about the list of what I just shared, it would be easy to rest on your laurels and say, great, our journey of the cross is done. And I would say to you, no, 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 no. God has new places where he is calling you as a community to lean into vulnerability for the sake of the kingdom of God. Don't shy away from those places because God has a story yet to be written about College Hill Presbyterian Church. And guess what? You're a part of it. And the other thing I want to encourage you to is on the other side of that, it might be easy to think that for a variety of reasons, your voice or your authority has been minimized. And I want to tell you, you still have a powerful voice. And our city loses if you don't use it. Other churches in the community lose if you don't use it. And I want you to leverage that and ask God as a community, God, where is the journey of the cross taking us as a community? But also, God, where is the journey of the crown taking us as a community? What's the new ground for us to take? What's the next five years? What's the next 10 years? What's the next 100 years look like if God would tarry for that long so that 100 years from now, people are talking about things that you guys are doing in this moment at College Hill Presbyterian Church. And I want to encourage you that God has that journey for you individually and collectively. And it's these strange bedfellows of authority and vulnerability that will lead you there. So I just want to pray a blessing over you as an individual and as a church. That as you think about this stewardship series winding down, that you would think about what are the ways that I'm being called and that we are being called to steward our power. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the power of Jesus that makes all of this possible. This conversation doesn't even make sense without Jesus, what you have done for us. But you have given us a mandate. You've given us a mandate to lead. You've given us a mandate to leverage power for the good of the kingdom and for the glory of God. And so, God, I pray that you would help all of us to think about that through an individual lens but that you would put a special grace on this community as they wrestle with what that means collectively as well. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here. Thank you for the many ways that this church has impacted my life and many others. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.